Letter eighty four of Pamela, volume two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Julia Niedermeyer. Pamela, volume two, by Samuel Richardson. Letter eighty four. From Miss Darnford, in answer to the preceding. My dear Mrs. B., I have been several times in company with mr peters to see mrs jukes the poor woman is very bad and cannot live many days we comfort her all we can but she often accuses herself of her past behaviour to so excellent a lady and with blessings upon blessings heaped upon you and her master and your charming little boy is continually declaring how much your goodness to her aggravates her former faults to her own conscience she has a sister-in-law and her niece with her, and has settled all her affairs, and thinks she is not long for this world. Her distemper is an inward decay, all at once as it were, from a constitution that seemed like one of iron, and she is a mere skeleton. You would not know her, I dare say. I will see her every day, and she has given me up all her keys and accounts to give to Mr. Longman, who is daily expected, and I hope will be here soon. For her sister-in-law, she says herself, is a woman of this world, as she has been. Mr. Peters calling upon me to go with him to visit her, I will break off here. Mrs. Jukes is much as she was, but your faithful steward is come. I am glad of it, and so is she. Nevertheless, I will go every day, and do all the good I can for the poor woman, according to your charitable desires. I thank you for your communication of Lady Davis's letter. I am much obliged to my lord and her ladyship, and should have been proud of an alliance with that noble family, but with all Mr. H.'s good qualities, as my lady paints them out, and his other advantages, I could not, for the world, make him my husband. I'll tell you one of my objections, in confidence, however, for you are only to sound me, you know. And I would not have it mentioned that I have taken any thought about the matter, because a stronger reason may be given, such a one as my lord and lady will both allow, which I will communicate to you by and by. My objection arises even from what you intimate of Mr. H.'s good humour and his persuadableness, if I may so call it. Now, where of a boisterous temper and high spirit, such an one as required great patience in a husband to bear with me, then Mr. H.'s good humour might have been a consideration with me. But when I have, I pride myself in the thought, a temper, not wholly unlike your own, and such an one as would not want to contend for superiority with his husband, it is no recommendation to me that Mr. H. is a good-humoured gentleman, and will bear with faults I design not to be guilty of. But, my dear Mrs. B., my husband must be a man of sense, and give me reason to think he has a superior judgment to my own, or I shall be unhappy. He will otherwise do wrong-headed things. I shall be forced to oppose him in them. He will be tenacious and obstinate, be taught to talk of prerogative and to call himself a man, without knowing how to behave as one, and I to despise him, of course." so be deemed a bad wife when i hope i have qualities that would make me a tolerable good one with a man of sense for my husband 
Now you must not think I would dispense with real good humour in a man. No, I make it one of my indispensables in a husband. A good-natured man will put the best constructions on what happens, but he must have sense to distinguish the best. He will be kind to little, unwilful, undesigned failings, but he must have judgment to distinguish what are, or are not so. But Mr. H.'s good humour is softness, as I may call it, and my husband must be such an one, in short, as I need not be ashamed to be seen with in company, one who, being my head, must not be beneath all the gentlemen he may happen to fall in with, and who, every time he is adjusting his mouth for speech, will give me pain at my heart, and blushes in my face, even before he speaks. I could not bear, therefore, that every one we encountered should be prepared, whenever he offered to open his lips, by their contemptuous smiles, to expect some weak and silly things from him, and when he had spoken, that he should, with a booby grin, seem pleased that he had not disappointed them. The only recommendatory point in Mr. H. is that he dresses exceedingly smart, and is no contemptible figure of a man. But, dear madam, you know, that's so much the worse when the man's talent is not as eternity, except before his aunt, or before Mr. B. or you, when he is not conscious of internal defect and values himself upon outward appearance. As to his attempts upon your Polly, though I don't like him the better for it, yet it is a fault, so wickedly common among men, that when a woman resolves never to marry, till a quiet virtuous man dresses her, it is, in other words, resolving to die single, so that I make not this the chief objection. And yet I would abate in my expectations of half a dozen other good qualities, rather than that one of virtue in a husband. But when I reflect upon the figure of Mr. H. made in that affair, I cannot bear him. And, if I may judge of other coxcombs by him, what wretches are these smart, well-dressing corporal fellows, many of whom you and I have seen admire themselves at the plays and operas? This is one of my infallible rules, and I know it is yours too, that he who is taken up with the admiration of his own person will never admire wives. His delights are centred in himself, and he will not wish to get out of that exceeding narrow circle, and, in my opinion, should keep no company but that of tailors, wig puffers, and milliners. But I will run on no further upon this subject, but will tell you a reason which you may give to Lady Davis, why her kind intentions to me cannot be answered, and which she will take better than what I have said, were she to know it, as I hope you won't let her. And this is, my papa has had a proposal made to him from a gentleman you have seen, and I thought polite. It is from Sir W. G., of this county, who is one of your great admirers, and Mr. B.'s too, and that, you must suppose, makes me have never the worse opinion of him, or of his understanding, although it requires no great sagacity, or penetration to see how much you adorn our sex, and human nature too. Everything was adjusted between my papa and mamma and Sir William, on condition we approved of each other, before I came down, which I knew not, till I had seen him here four times, and then my papa surprised me into half an approbation of him, and this, it seems, was one of the reasons why I was so hurried down from you. I can't say, but I liked the man as well as most I have seen. 
He is a man of sense and sobriety, to give him his due, in very easy circumstances, and much respected by all who know him, which is no bad earnest in a marriage prospect. But, hitherto, he seems to like me better than I do him. I don't know how it is, but I often observe that when anything is in our power, we are not half so much taken with it as we should be, perhaps, if we were kept in suspense. Why should this be? But this I am convinced of. There is no comparison between Sir William and Mr. Murray. Now I have named this brother-in-law of mine. What do you think? Why, that good couple have had their house on fire three times already. Once it was put out by Mr. Murray's mother, who lives near them, and twice Sir Simon has been forced to carry water to extinguish it. For truly, Mrs. Murray would go home again to her papa. She would not live with such a surly wretch, and it was with all his heart a fair riddance, for there was no bearing the house with such an ill-natured wife. Her sister Polly was worth a thousand of her. I am heartily sorry for their unhappiness. But could she think everybody must bear with her and her fretful ways? They'll jangle on, I reckon, till they are better used to one another, and when he sees she can't help it, why, he'll bear with her, as husbands generally do with ill-tempered wives. He'll try to make himself happy abroad, and leave her to quarrel with her mates, instead of him. For she must have somebody to vent her spleen upon, poor Nancy. I'm glad to hear of Mr. William's good fortune. As Mr. Adams knows not Polly's fault, and it was prevented in time, they may be happy enough. She is a sly girl. I always thought her so, something so innocent, and yet so artful in her very looks. She is an odd compound. But these worthy and piously turned young gentlemen, who have but just quitted the college, are mere novices as to the world. Indeed, they are above it, while in it. They therefore give themselves little trouble to study it, and so, depending on the goodness of their own hearts, are more liable to be imposed upon than people of half their understanding. I think, since he seems to love her, you do right not to hinder the girl's fortune. But I wish she may take your advice in her behaviour to him. At least, for as to her carriage to her neighbours, I doubt she'll be one of the heads of the parish presently in her own estimation. "'Tis pity, methinks, any worthy man of the cloth should have a wife who, by her bad example, should pull down as fast as he by a good one can build up. This is not the case of Mrs. Peters, however, whose example I wish was more generally followed by gentlewomen, who are made so by marrying good clergymen, if they were not so before. Don't be surprised if you should hear that poor Chooks is given over. She made a very exemplary, full of blessings and more easy and resigned than I apprehended she would be. I know you'll shed a tear for the poor woman. I can't help it myself. But you will be pleased that she had so much time given her, and made so good use of it. Mr. Peters has been everything that one would wish one of his function to be, in his attendance and advice to the poor woman. Mr. Longman will take proper care of everything. So I will only add that I am of the sincerest respect, in hopes to see you soon, for I have a multitude of things to talk to you about, dear Mrs. B., your ever-faithful and affectionate Polly Darnford. End of letter 84